Because I preached three times, and, and uh, I'm tired. And so I'm sitting there. But, man, we sing that song. I can't help myself. I just got to get up and praise God and shout hallelujah. If you got your Bibles this morning, would you join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. If you're our guest today, I'm going through this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. It's a corrective letter. It's one to correct some things that uh, the church at Corinth, that they were experiencing, some things that they were going through. Uh, Paul had gotten word from some church members that there were some challenges in the church, and so uh, he, he wanted to address those. He also got a letter from the church, and he wanted to address some of the challenges in that letter. And we've just been going through this letter uh, verse by verse, uh, principle upon principle, uh, just studying it and uh, just seeing what God's Word has to say to us. And, and basically, you know me by now, what we do is we just put ourselves under the Word of God and say, God, you speak to us through your Word and uh, we'll change. We're going to change and you'll change us from the inside. And uh, when we walk in an area of obedience to the Lord, then we, it, it affects the world around us. It affects the culture around us. Over these past three weeks, we've been studying where Paul's been talking about marriage. And he's been talking about singleness. And he's been talking about purity. And uh, he's going to finish that up today. As a matter of fact, when you read the overarching theme of Corinthians, uh, you find that this theme is commitment. Commitment to the Lord. Being more committed to Jesus Christ more than anything. And what he's saying here in this particular section of Scripture that we've been dealing with is that Paul's saying, you really need to be committed to the Lord in your marriage. Because remember what uh, Paul said to the church of Ephesus. And, and Jesus said this too, that this is a great mystery. When he's speaking about a husband and wife, he's speaking about the Lord and his church and the relationship that the Lord has with the church. And so we find that this great mystery has a tremendous amount of responsibility between the two of us, and we already dealt with all that. Uh, but here, Paul, in this text, is going to now sum up everything that he's said up to this point. And what he's going to do is he's going to teach us how to live a pure life in an impure world. Uh, he's going to share with us how to live a pure life in an impure world. Now, this section starts in verse 25, and it runs all the way down to verse number 40. It's a very lengthy passage of Scripture, so I'm going to ask that you remain seated while I read it to you because there's some things that I want to interject parenthetically, not many, just a few things, to help with the context of what Paul uh, is talking about here. So let's begin in verse number 25. He says, now concerning virgins. Let me stop right there. Anytime you see the word virgins here in this section, uh, Paul is referring to single adults that are pure. They have not uh, had intimate relations uh, with the opposite sex. They're Christians. They're born again. Um, and so they're male and female. He will address uh, some females, and he's also addressing males as well. But he's talking about this area of singleness. He says, now concerning singleness or concerning virgins... He says, I have no new command of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Uh, he's saying that through the course of my life, whatever the course may be, we don't know exactly if Paul was married or not, but we know at this particular stage in his life he's single. And he says, I've been faithful in my singleness. And he says, I've obtained mercy from the Lord to be able to do this. Verse 26. He says, I suppose, therefore, that it's good for the present distress. I say that it is good 
for a man so to be. Now remember, we said that present distress, we've already talked about this, but I'm just reemphasizing it here, is that there is a big crisis going on in Corinth. There's a major crisis going on in Corinth. And say, so, well, what is, what is that crisis? What's the crisis? Well, we know this. The church historian Tertullian said simply this. There was a food shortage during this time period. We don't know for sure, but we know there was a food shortage here. For whatever reason, food was short. We know that to be a problem. Number two, we also know persecution. Remember who Paul was before he got saved. He was Saul. He persecuted the church. Paul started the church at Corinth. He spent 18 months there trying to get them ready, and then he left. And by the time he's writing this letter, he's over in Ephesus. And so he's not with them. And so uh, what's happened is persecution is ramping up now uh, in Corinth. And uh, believers are beginning to be persecuted. They're, beginning to, they're being beaten. They're, they're being jailed. Some are even in danger of losing their life for the gospel's sake. So th there's a second thing we know. Number three, here's a third thing that, uh, that we know. The rampant immorality in Corinth was bleeding into the church. Remember, we said this. Corinth was like Las Vegas today. I mean, it was just a cesspool of wickedness. Uh, the temple of Aphrodite was there. There were many other temples there that I haven't even talked about yet throughout the course of this message, but there were temples everywhere. A lot of people coming from a lot of different cultures, a lot of hedonism, that is, do whatever you want to, a lot of dualism where they just simply said the flesh doesn't matter, what matters is the spirit, so you take care of the spirit, it doesn't matter what you do to your flesh, so you can drink yourself into a crazy stupor, and, and that, that was the culture that they were living in there, and so that was bleeding into the church, and so you just take those three things alone, there was a crisis that was taking place right then and there in the church. So he says, I suppose that it's good for this present distress, I say, that it is good for a man so to be. Uh, art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But and... If thou marry, thou hast not sinned, and if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, it remaineth, that both they that have wives be as though that have none, and they that weep as though they that weep not, and they that rejoice as though they that rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without, but I would have you without carefulness. Uh, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belongeth to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things of the world, he that may, how he may please his wife. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin, or a wife uh, and a single lady. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be uh, holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your profit, not that I might cast a snare upon you, uh, but, that, uh, which, but that which is comely, and that ye may attend unto the Lord without distraction. But 
If a man think that he behaveth himself uncomely towards his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not, let them marry. Let me pause right there and say something parenthetically about verse 26. Verse 26, the word but is a transition in what he's talking about. He's talking in verse 36 about a dad letting his daughter go in relationship to marriage. He's not talking about marrying that individual uh, himself. He's talking about releasing the daughter to be married. Verse 37, you'll see this here. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and also so decree in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So, then he that giveth her in marriage, there it is, doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. The wife is bound to the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband is dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide. After my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Now, let me say something right there about that last sentence he said. And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. That is contextually, and many historians have pointed this out, and it's true. Uh, this is a sarcastic remark by Paul. He's... He's a little bit ticked. He, somebody has set him off. And he says, well, I guess I have the Spirit of the Lord too now. You know, kind of real sassy. Uh, what does that mean? I'll show you here in just a minute. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Father, this is the text you've given us today. In the name of Jesus, I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your help. Help us as we go through it together as a church. Strengthen our hearts. Draw us closer to you. And if someone's lost today, I pray that they'd get saved. We love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard a story this week about two men uh, that were standing in line at the airport waiting to get their ticket. Uh, the man, uh, this one man was standing behind the other, and the man in the front by the counter was giving the ticket lady a very, very hard time. As a matter of fact, he got so upset he began to cuss the lady, and it was a very, very ugly, ugly scene. Uh, finally, the lady handed the ticket to the gentleman, the passenger that was leaving, and off he went. The man standing behind the gentleman immediately stepped up to the counter and said, Ma'am, I want to apologize to you for that man. I don't know what happened to him this morning, but he obviously was a mess. I cannot believe he treated you that way. I am just absolutely in shock and awe, some of the things that he said to you, and said, Ma'am, you composed yourself amazingly. You were the epitome of grace and mercy and kindness. You put the, you put the uh, passenger first and <clears throat> met all of his needs You've got to be a Christian. I, I, just, I, I just cannot believe how you responded to him. He was so ugly to you. And she, she put her head down and shook. She said, yes, I am a Christian. She said, but i got a confession to make. And he says, what's that? And she said, you see, that man's going to Chicago, but his luggage is going to China. Revenge is not how Christians should respond. 
And as a matter of fact, how should we respond in an impure world? When we're living in an impure world, when we're living in a world of wickedness, how should we respond? This is what Paul talks about in this passage of Scripture, in this text. He gives us some practical things that we need in our life to live in an impure world. Now, he begins this in verse number 25. And, and let me point out a couple of things if I could now that I've given some introduction here. In verse number 25, he says, Now concerning virgins, talking about singleness, he's really going to wait this through this this singleness topic he's going to wave this throughout the course of his teaching here this morning but in particular he's going to deal with it right there at the end where I pointed it out there in verse number 36 he's going to be dealing specifically with it in that area but I want you to notice what he says next in verse 25 he says I have no new commandment of the Lord yet I give my judgment what Paul's doing here is he's making a difference between the commandments of the Lord and Paul's counsel He's saying, up until this time, he says, I, I've given you some imperatives from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 7 right now where I'm at. He says, but I'm not giving you any more commands in this section. He says, I'm laying down the imperatives. There's no imperatives in this text. He says, I'm laying that down, and I'm just coming to you, and I want to give you some counsel. I want to counsel you in some areas. I want to give you some advice in some areas. It'll help you if you'll listen to it. And I, I just want to be a help for you. And I'm not going to be dogmatic in it. I just want to give you some counsel. That's what he's saying there in the text. And then in verse 26, he just simply says the crux of the matter. He gets down to the heart of the matter. Look at what he says. He says, I suppose, therefore, that it is good for the present distress, I say, that it is good for a man so to be. So he gets down here to the nitty-gritty when he says there's a current crisis going on in Corinth and because of that current crisis there's some things I need to counsel you on that will help you as a church, that will help you as an individual Christian and it's so vitally important that you receive it. Now let me, let me contextualize this if I can. And when I say contextualize what I mean by that is this. Let me try to give a practical current application that we can receive this text and put it in practice today. When you turn the news on today, you are seeing that we're living in a history-making event in the United States of America. Never before has there been such a display in regards to the Supreme Court nomination uh, 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 that we have before us today. It is absolutely ludicrous at what's going on. I don't know if you knew this or not, but did you know that Brett Kavanaugh has already had six FBI investigations on him? Already six before this ever came out. Do you think that throughout the course of those six investigations, they would have found something? But now we've got a new one? Now, I'm not here to get political this morning. I'm just simply saying, when you have an opportunity or, an, or, a, or a situation in the culture where you can go back 30 or 40 years of your life and something be brought up, whether it be true or false, whether it be uh, false in many cases or slanderous in some cases, that it can be used against you and it will affect your reputation. How in the world are you going to live in such a culture like that? It's not a fair culture. It's a wicked culture. It's a difficult culture. It's a hard culture. How do you live like that? This is what Paul's going to be talking about today. As born-again children of God, the devil, listen to me, hates you. As born-again children of God, the devil wants to destroy you. 
He will do everything in his power. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life will come against you to the capacity that he will do everything that he possibly can do to drag you down, discourage you, ruin your testimony. But listen to me very carefully, child of God. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And if you're a born-again child of God, you've got a power living inside of you that created this universe. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Listen to what Paul has to say today about living pure in an impure world. Three things he tells us in a counseling session that I want to share with you. Number one, the first thing he says is be faithful to your commitment. Be faithful to your commitment. In verses 26 through 28, Paul tells us that we need to be faithful in the calling that God has called us to. And the calling by which he's called us to, he's already mentioned. He's already talked about it. As a matter of fact, in talking about it, he simply says there are three categories that born-again children of God find themselves. There are three commitments that you've, you've committed either to one of these commitments, and you need to be faithful in it. Let me show them to you. Number one, be faithful to your marriage. Look at what he says in verse number 26. He says, Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. He simply says, Listen, are you married? If you're married, stay married. Don't get a divorce for frivolous things. Now remember, we've already had the marriage talk. He's already talked about marriage. Marriage is a lifelong bond that can only be broken three ways according to the Word of God. It can be broken by death, Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Death will uh, end a marriage. Number two, it can be dissolved by adultery. Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus said, If you've committed adultery, or there's an adulterous act that has taken place because of the hardness of the heart, you can have a certificate of divorce. And that will annul or that will disband the marriage. And then there's a third one. Paul talked about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15 If you were divorced by an unbelieving spouse, you're a believer, your spouse is unbelieving, they divorce you, they walk away from the marriage, the Bible says you're released. You are released from that and you can get remarried. He says outside of these, Paul is encouraging the Christians to be faithful to their commitment to marriage. Now remember, contextually, this is a a corrective letter. The Corinthians were getting married and divorced for all kinds of different reasons. Historians say that it was not uncommon for a Corinthian to be married some 25 times. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of weddings. Crazy. Insane. And so we just see here that in the text he says, Paul's saying, stop getting divorced for frivolous things. They were getting divorced. Uh, let, let me give an example. They, might, they were getting up, uh, let, let's just say because of this crisis that was happening in Corinth, they were getting up in the mornings and the husband was saying, hey, I want a sausage and biscuit this morning. And the wife says, we ain't got no sausage. I gave you bacon, egg, and cheese. You're a sorry wife. I'm going to get a divorce. Now that is foolish and ridiculous, but those were some of the crazy things that were happening in Corinth. And they were, they were separating and getting divorced over Uh, foolish things. And he says, stop it. Be committed to your marriage. Are you bound to a wife? Stop uh, seeking to get a divorce from her. Be faithful in your commitment to marriage. Number two, he says, be faithful to your singleness. Look at verse 27 again. Notice the text. Art thou loosed from a wife? 
Seek not a wife. That word loose there in that passage of Scripture means to be single. Since you had not got married yet, stay single. Embrace your singleness. Cherish your singleness. Seek God more than you seek a mate. Let God work in your life before you get married. Please remember what he's saying. He's not saying this is going to be for the eternity. He's not saying do this forever. He's just simply saying because of the current crisis that's in Corinth, because of the persecution, because uh, of the wickedness that has bled into the church, because of the food shortage that's going on, it's better to cherish and embrace your singleness, put your focus on God first and foremost, and continue to live for God. And then there's a third thing he says here. Number three, he says you also need to be committed if you are engaged. Be committed to your engagement. Verse 28. He says, but and. Is that in your Bible? It should be because it's important. Say, it don't make no sense. Well, it does make plenty of sense. The word but there, he's talking about there in this regard. He says, I wish everybody was single like me during this period of time. During this crisis, I wish everybody was single. But he says, I know this isn't possible. And I also know people are going to get married. The and is in reference to people that are already engaged. He said, there's some of you that are already engaged. You're about to get married. And now you're scratching your head going, well, do I call off the engagement? Or do I continue to get married? Look at what he says. He says, but and if you marry... Thou hast not sinned, and if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. He says, no, you're not, gonna, you're not going to sin if you get married during this time. He says, but you're going to have a hard time. There's going to be difficulty in your life. You're going to have a hard time because not only are you going to have the pressure of persecution on your family, not only are you going to have the, the uh, uh, famine in your family, if you will, or the food shortage that's going on there, not only are you going to have the impression of immorality that's taking place, he says, look, this is practical advice. This isn't a moral command. This isn't a spiritual command. I'm just talking to you that because of this crisis, when you also add the two people coming together, there's going to be an added pressure in your relationship. Because really the bottom line is there's going to be anger at some point in the relationship. There's going to be selfishness in the relationship. There's going to be some dishonesty in the relationship. There'll be pride in the relationship. There'll be forgetfulness. There'll become a time where uh, he might forget your birthday during this crisis. I mean, it's just going to be a mess. And because of that, you need to really be thinking about that if you're going to get married or not. He says, you're not going to sin, but you've got to be faithful to it. So continue to be faithful to that engagement. Be faithful to your commitments. Watch this, number two. He's going to shift gears in verse 29. Not only does he say that I want you to be faithful to your commitments, he says, number two, I want you to be aware of the time. Be aware of the time. In verses 29 through 35, Paul says, Be aware, if you want to live pure in an impure world, be faithful to your commitments and be aware of the time. Verse 29 through 35. Notice what he says there in verse number 29. Uh, excuse me, in, in verse, yeah, verse 29. He says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. Look again at what it says in verse 31. And they that use this world is not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. There's the key to this passage, this section. He simply says you need to be aware of time. Time is short. The world is passing away. If you want to be faithful in this current crisis, in a, in a culture of crisis, be aware of the time. 
And if you're going to be aware of the time, then what Paul does here in the text, in verses 29 through 31, he says there's some things you need to put in perspective. There needs to be, if you would, a putting things in perspective time. Well, what is it we need to put in perspective? That's what he gives us in verse 29 and following. Now, follow me on this because it has a tendency to be a little bit confusing. Watch what Paul does here. He says, if we're going to put things in perspective, the first thing we need to do is we need to put balance in our lives. There needs to be balance in our lives. Look at verse 29. He tells us there in the text. He says, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. Now, let me tell you what Paul is not saying here. He is not saying in times of crisis, you ignore your spouse. That is not what Paul's saying there. Paul is talking about our reactions. He's saying that in a time of crisis, things are not going to be as in a time of affluence. They're not going to be as a time where things are good and a time where things are healthy. It's going to be different. There's going to be pressures. They're, they're going to want to separate you as a Christian marriage in the arena of persecution. You may not have enough food to put on the table. Uh, there might be some immorality that tries to creep inside your home. And he says, in knowing this, your response has got to be proper and in balance. You've got to act, if you would, as though you did not have a wife. You can't respond in an ugly or negative way. He's also speaking here in relationship to service of God. He's also saying that in regard to this issue, if you're going to bring balance to your life, you've got to understand that this current crisis does not mean that you've got to stop serving the Lord. You've got to continue to serve the Lord. So you've got your wife on one hand, you've got the Lord on the other, and there's balance that has to be there. If God calls you to go to a mission trip, then you need to go on that mission trip. It is as if you don't have a spouse. You're leaving that spouse for a season to go do work, to go share the gospel, to do something for the Lord. He's just simply saying there needs to be a balance here. Don't hurt your wife or don't hurt your husband. But also, don't give up serving the Lord. Bring balance or put balance in your life. Number two, he also says put sorrow in perspective. Look at verse 30. He says, and they that weep as though they weep not. He's speaking here of mourning. Christ, somebody has died, and he's talking of mourning. For a Christian, when a husband or a wife or a child or a friend dies or becomes crippled or has a disease, we don't celebrate that. We don't celebrate that. On the other hand, when a mature Christian, a mature, mature Christian also doesn't fall apart. There is this issue where they put sorrow in perspective. I, I want to. I shared this in the last service. She she came to church today. Miss Claudia Wilson is a living example of this principle. Miss Claudia Wilson uh, had surgery the day that her husband died. Brother George died on Tuesday. Claudia had surgery on Wednesday. They'd sit right back here in the center there. In fact, they left an empty seat today uh, where Brother George would sit, and Miss Claudia was sitting beside that empty seat. Her first church service as her husband's gone on to be with the Lord. The surgeon told the family, I don't want you to tell her that her husband died. Now follow me on this. I don't want any more pressure on her as she goes into surgery. I don't want her stress to be too high as we put her under. So they didn't tell her. 
They asked me as their pastor, would I stay around after she comes out of surgery and help tell her that her husband, Brother George, has passed away. I said, yes. What a joy and privilege that was. I stood by the bedside that day when Claudia woke up from her surgery. And I can remember after she had been in recovery a while and she was fine and finally in her right thoughts, she looked up and there was Linda and there was Barry and there was myself at the bedside. And she said, what's wrong? I know something's wrong. Am I dying? What happened? What's going on? To which Linda very gently and preciously and kindly dealt with her mother with such grace and said, Mom, Dad's gone home to be with the Lord. Dad died early this morning. She laid there, and that bottom lip began to tremble, and tears swelled up in her eyes and began to roll down her cheeks. And she said this. I'll never forget it. She said, well, he's in a better place. He's with Jesus. No more hurting. No more pain. He's with the Lord. What did she do? She put her sorrow in perspective. She knew that this was not the end. Listen to me, child of God. When a dear saint of God dies, we must know and understand that we don't mourn like the world mourns. Oh, we're going to miss them, but we know right where they're at. They're with Jesus. Number three, the third thing Paul says here in the text is he says you need to put your emotions in check. Look at what he says in verse number 30. He says, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not. Now follow me what he's saying here in this text. Paul's already talked about, remember, he's talking about some things he's already referred to. He's already talked about this in 1 Corinthians 4 too, when he says faithful stewardship is a requirement. And our hope is not found, if you would, in our cars, in our home, in our bank account. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And because this world is passing away, our stewardship is reflected in our priorities. What are your priorities? God should be the number one priority. And, it's, and Paul is saying your stewardship should show that. God should be number one in your stewardship. Number five, here's a fifth one. Put pleasures in its place. Look at verse 31. Notice what he says in the text. He says, and they that use this world is not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. What is he referring to there? In times of a good economy, we find affluence, ease, permissiveness, uh, complete self-acceptance. It's, it's easy to accept pleasure. I'm going to be honest with you today. In regards to this and thinking about this and, and having my mind set up on it, man, I'm gonna be, the culture uh, may be going to pot, but the economy is really good. Could you give me an amen to say the economy's doing better than it was? I mean, it really is. I, look, when you think about Maysville Baptist Church, man, you guys really, you took it seriously, and you prayed and said, God, what do you have me give? And, and some of you gave, and we were able to meet budget, you know, two, th three weeks before. I, I'm just, I'm shocked. Things are good. They're good. People are being saved. Man, we're rejoicing. Our debt's going under a million. We got something to be excited about. I'm so excited about the economy. Things are going so well. I sure would like to buy a brand new bass boat. I'd like that. Be good. It don't even have to be new. It could be a, a good use one. A good use one. What Paul is saying here in this text is simply this. It's okay to do that. It'll be all right to do that. But 
If that bass boat takes you away from the house of God, if that boat takes you away from Sunday school, if it takes you away from church, if it takes you away from serving the Lord, he says, listen, you better put pleasure in perspective. Just because things are good, just because things are well, just because things are going okay and things are wonderful, don't neglect the spiritual aspect of it. There are still lost people that need to be saved. There are still hurting people that need a hand of God to reach down and touch them and help them get up. Oh, dear friend, listen to me very carefully. He says, put pleasures in its place. Paul's giving practical advice. He says, not only do we need to put some things in perspective, though, he says, here's a second thing. To be aware of time, he says, number two, you need to be practicing marital devotion. You need to be practicing marital devotion. Verses 32 through 35, Paul here again gives personal advice about marriage, devotion, and and singleness in regards to serving the Lord. And I don't have time to develop all this because I'm already out of time. If you look at your watches, you'll note note that only got six minutes. I'm doing everything I can to give you what the Lord would have you to have. It goes by so fast when you study the Word of God. But what he's saying here is that there needs to be two things. Number one, a caring for each other. There needs to be a caring for each other in regards to husband and wife relations. He's not talking about in this text that uh, uh, it's wrong to be married because you can't serve the Lord. No, he just simply says in regards to this, he already dealt with it in saying there needs to be balance in your life. But he's saying there's this caring that you have for one another. If you're married, the wife cares for the husband, and the husband cares for the wife. But if you're single, he says, and this is the second thing he says, there is a a catering to the Lord. If you're single and you don't have a husband to take care of or you don't have a wife to take care of, you can go and serve the Lord wherever you want. I think about our missionary, Dan Branch. That was exactly uh, what Dan did. Exactly. Dan would sit right here. How many of you remember Brother Dan Branch? You couldn't miss him. That joker was 12 foot tall. I mean tall. And we loved Dan. And man, he seek, I remember he came to my office. David sat down in my office and said, Pastor, God's calling me uh, to missions. And I'm single. I can go wherever he wants. I'm ready to go. And so uh, I'm turning loose. I'm quitting my job. I, I got some money I've saved up. I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I don't have anything holding me back. I don't have a wife or anything. And so he... Opened his hand and says, God, wherever you lead, I'll go. Man, he went to Southeast Asia. He has been all over the world. And he landed in one place. And while his heart was focused on God 100%, he was serving God in his singleness, giving God the glory in his life. God brought a little lady in his life, a born-again child of God. And God said, because of your faithfulness, Dan, and your willingness to give your all, I'm going to give you a precious gift. And he gave that precious wife to him. And the same is true on her end. She had the same testimony. Serving God in her singleness. And how God brought them together. Paul is basically saying here in this text. Is there's a caring for one another if you're already married. There's a commitment if you would. Or a catering to the Lord if you're not. But we're all serving the Lord. And he sums it up if you would in verse 35. Look at what he says there. He says in the latter part, and that, and that you may attend unto the Lord without distraction. That's the key. He says whether you're married, whether you're single, it doesn't matter. Don't get distracted. Be faithful in serving the Lord. Be aware of the time. 
And then he says a third thing, and I'm going to close here. Number three, he's giving practical advice. He says, be aware of the times. It's, it's ending. It's coming to a close. He says, be faithful to your commitments. And then number three, he says, be consistent with your heart. Be consistent with your heart, verses 36 through 40. Again, I don't have time to develop it greatly, but he says in verse number 37 that there needs to be this steadfastness of heart. Talking about a father. He says there's a steadfastness in your heart. As a matter of fact, uh, when we see this steadfastness of heart, he actually gives this in two areas of life. The first area is from a father to a daughter. We find this in verse 36 through 38. This is speaking of a Jewish culture practice called arranged marriage. Now, I did this in the last two services, and I want to do it in this service because I'm just kind of curious. Um, has there anybody here that got married through an arranged marriage? That is, your mom and dad uh, arranged your marriage. You didn't pick your mate. They did that for you. Would, you. would you raise your hand? You're not ashamed of that. Would you raise your hand and tell me? I hadn't had nobody raise their hand all day. And, 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 and we say amen, right? <laughs> and I don't know my parents picking my spouse. Why? Well, because it's a cultural thing. In the Jewish culture, they do it all the time. And they still do it today. I mean, it still happens today. There are arranged marriages. We don't have this. So this is a cultural principle right here. So what you have to do is you have to contextualize this principle to today. Contextualize it to the day. So if we don't participate in this culture and arranged marriage, how can we apply this passage of Scripture and what Paul's saying? Because basically what Paul's saying is just simply this. Paul says, if you have started an arranged marriage and your daughter has this desire to get married, it's not a sin to not let her get married. Go ahead and get married. But if she doesn't want to get married, you are not at all under the law to break that marriage off. You can break it off. and Everybody's fine. Everybody's happy. Uh, don't worry about it. It, but if she, if your daughter insists, I want to get married, I love this guy, I want to do it, then let her go ahead and get married. Everything will just be fine. But, uh, and you, you may make the, you know, the man upset. He may be mad because he wanted to marry her. But the fact of the matter is, you arranged it, you can break it off, everything is fine and dandy. Now let me care, see if I can't bring it into to our culture today. Miriam and I had a little uh, practice we do with our girls. We got five kids, got two girls. And uh, what we would do is uh, we would tell our girls, and when we were in agreement, you got to be in agreement if you're going to do this. We'd say, now, sweetheart, when a little boy comes calling, they're going to come calling. When they come calling, what we're asking you to do is we're asking you to just tell that boy that wants to be your boyfriend and wants you to be his girlfriend, you just say, you got to go talk to my dad. That's all. Just got to go talk to dad. And uh, they said, okay, all right, that's fine. Well, Holly one day had a little boy sweet on her, and sure enough, the phone rang. I picked the phone up. Hello? Uh, hey, uh, Mr. Shane? Yeah. I said, this is so-and-so. I said, hey, how you doing, man? I'm fine. Can I be Holly's boyfriend? <laughs> I said, are you at home? He said, yeah. I said, hang on just a second. I'll call you right back. And I hung up. And I went over there to Holly. And I said, uh, Holly, can I ask you a question? Um, is Holly in here? No. Where is she not? Praise God. All right. All right. <laughs> this is good. You're going to love this. I said, Holly, so and so just called. Do you, do you like him? And Holly does this. <laughs> That's all I needed to know. 
buddy? Yeah, you want to be uh, Holly's boyfriend? Forget it! <laughs> now, did you see what I did there? Now, follow me on this. I took my kids, my daughters, out of the equation of rejecting that suitor. I don't mind being the bad guy when it comes to my girls. And so we protected them in that respect. Now, my girls today uh, have boyfriends. Guess who Holly's boyfriend is? <laughs> Many of you know. Huh? <laughs> Cody McDowell, where are you at, buddy? So you just rest assured and know that before those boys take interest in, in my girls, and my girls are adults now, they're, they're adults, uh, 18 and over 20, and uh, they still ask their dad about the boys they were interested in and whether or not I needed to get involved and if I needed to tell them to hit the road or not. But thank God uh, we got two wonderful, wonderful young men of God that loves the Lord, Alyssa and Ollie both. And I praise the Lord uh, for them. And that's all Paul's saying. Pa Paul is saying, your responsibility as a father to a daughter, protect her. And be consistent in your heart in that protection. Be consistent. And then he ends with this, and we're out of time. I'm done. The, the next thing he, he talks about is wives to husbands. Wives to husbands. And, and he just simply says this. He, he says, look, marriage is permanent. Till death do you part. But if your spouse dies and you're a widow, you are released from that marriage covenant, and you can get remarried. Um, I love our widows, and I love our widowers, and I thank God, and, and they're either in one or two categories, and, and Paul makes mention of it here. He says many of them are just happy being a widow. And what he's just simply saying is, you know, my husband, she, she said my husband died, and I already had one husband. I don't want to do that again. I'm done. <laughs> ain't that going to happen anymore, anymore. Uh, but if it does happen then there's no sin there. Go ahead and get married. On the other hand, I have met some widows and widowers um, who just couldn't wait to get married. I mean, their spouse died. I, I, here's a, this is a real one. I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. This really happened. Got, got a phone call one day from a gentleman, said, uh, Pastor, I, I really need you to pray for me. I said, why? I said, well, my wife's been dead three months and uh, I'm lonely. I really need a girlfriend. I mean, I need a girlfriend bad. Will you pray for me a girlfriend? And I said, well, okay, brother, how old are you? He said, I'm 83. I said, I got to let you go. I got to hurry. <laughs> Lord, quick, quick. Don't want this guy to burn in this passion. Please. Get. Did you know within one week, man, he come, man, you talk about a, in his, guess what, preacher? I said, what? He said, I got a girlfriend. I said, are you serious? He said, yes. I'm so excited about it. And he must have been excited because, bless God, he bought a four-bedroom house across the street from a, uh, an elementary school. He was planning on getting some things done at 82. I mean, he was ready to go.
I'm going to do what I did in the first service. I quit. I'm waving the white flag. He just simply says this. He says, look, I'm not giving you any commands here. I'm just trying to give you some counsel. And my counseling to you is just simply this in regards to, to wives and husbands. You're released from the bond once your spouse is dead. And when they're dead, you're, and if you want to get married, get married. If you don't want to get married, that's fine. L- look at what he says here. It's quite, it's really tender. It, it, before he gets sarcastic, he gets really tender. He says in, there in verse number 39, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. But watch this. He makes, a, he makes a clause here. It's not a command, but it is a counsel. He says, only in the Lord. What he's saying is make sure that they're Christians. Make sure that they're Christians. You're released. Make sure they're Christians. Now, I know there's a lot of things that go on here, and I haven't had time to develop it, like family. One of, the, one of the most difficult things is when you've got a mom or dad that's passed away and your mom or dad that's living um, finds a girlfriend or your, mom, your, your, your dad that uh, mother died and dad finds a girlfriend. That's hard. That's hard. It really is. But according to the Bible, they've been released. The only requirement is that they be in the Lord, that they be born again Christians. It's not a betrayal of the mother. You don't want them burning in their passions and being lonely. He says, but verse 40, watch this. But she is happier if she so abides. And if, if, if she just don't want to get married anymore, or he don't want to get married anymore, it can go either way. He said, that's fine. He says, after my uh, judgment, that word judgment again is advice, after my advice, and then he gets whoever it is is being upset with him. He points his finger and says, and I think I have the Spirit of God also because I'm an apostle. He's referring to his apostleship. There And so that's all he's saying. He's a very tender moment there before he gets to pointing his finger and getting upset at the individual. So how do you live a pure life in an impure world? Just Paul says three things. Be faithful to your commitments. If you're single, be faithful to your singleness. Uh, if you're married, be faithful to your marriage. If you're engaged, be faithful to that. Uh, be aware of the time. Put things in perspective. Practice marital devotion. And number three, be consistent with your heart. Fathers, protect your daughters. Wives, he says, and vice versa. You're free from marriage after death. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, uh, Paul didn't give any commands here. He just kind of gives some counsel. You might be here today, and maybe you've never uh, been saved. You don't know where you're going to spend an eternity. Could I give you some counsel? The Bible tells us in the Word of God, if you die without Jesus Christ, you go to a real place called hell. But God has made a way for you not to go to hell. You can come to Christ by the way of the cross. Friend, if you're here today, and you've never accepted the free gift of salvation, then why put it off any longer? Give your heart to Jesus Christ. Don't be distracted by our culture that's very wicked. Don't be distracted by the affluence of our economy. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You can't live good enough to get to heaven. You can only get to heaven through Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you'd like to be born again, if you'd like to be saved, if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, 
from your heart to God's heart, I'm going to ask you to do what the Bible says. Why don't you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Say, would you help me with that, preacher? I sure will. Right where you're sitting this morning, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And this morning, I repent of my sin. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I will live for you. In Jesus' name.